0: Well, I do want to say good morning to you again. I ask now, if you would, grab your Bibles. Let's go to John chapter 13 this morning as we continue to walk verse by verse through this chapter. Those of you who know me know I am an absolute baseball fan. Uh, it just, it, it's been in my blood for as long as I can remember, and I'm sure it's going to remain there till the day I die. Uh, One of the quirks about baseball, and baseball fans know this, is baseball has a bunch of unwritten rules. Now, we don't know how many unwritten rules there are because they're unwritten. Uh, But there's a lot of them, it seems. Uh, But there's one unwritten rule that every batter and every pitcher know. And it's this one. If you hit a home run off of me and you flip your bat... You stand and stare at it, or you take your time getting around the bases. The next time you come up, I'm putting one in your ribs. That's just how it's been since the inception of baseball, and it really hasn't changed. Now, here's the thing. Every pitcher knows this. If I intentionally throw at you, I'm going to get thrown out of the game. I'm going to get fined, and I'm probably going to be suspended. Everybody knows that. And yet it still happens. The umpires even know it's going to happen. It may not happen in that particular game, but probably the next day or the next series. So to try to ward off a brawl, the umpires go to both locker rooms before the game and go, now listen, I don't want any shenanigans. Don't throw at the other team. If you do, you're out of here. This is your warning. And guess what the teams inevitably go out and do? Throw at him. Typically first batter. And the picture gets thrown out, and the, the game proceeds. Everybody knows what's coming, and it still can't stop it. You know, that really kind of captures the theme of the text we're going to look at this morning. What's playing out in John chapter 13, verses 18 to 30, is a continuation of a battle that has been raging since the Garden of Eden. The very end of Genesis 1, God declares... After looking over everything he created, he said, behold, it is good. Yet just two short chapters later, that which was declared very good has now become very marred. The sinfulness of Adam has thrown all of creation and all of humanity into chaos. Consequences that you and I are still feeling and dealing with to this day. Yet as a believer, we know how this story is going to end. Because God gave us a promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. A promise that He would send a deliverer who would once and for all strike a death blow to sin and Satan. With that promise, Satan's fate was sealed on that day even though the death blow wouldn't be struck for about another 4,000 years at the cross of Jesus and even though the full effects of Jesus' death and resurrection haven't been felt just yet we have this hope that one day the world that we now live in the, the things that are part of our everyday life one day these will no longer be the case see, when you and I use the word hope in today's vernacular, it's often a chance. If everything goes just right, I hope this will happen. Yet the Bible gives an entirely different definition of the word hope. When the Bible talks about hope, it is an absolute certainty, even though we haven't seen it yet. And so our hope is this, that one day there will be no more tears. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death. Because Jesus Christ will have set all things perfect again. And we know this is going to happen because all the way back in the beginning, God promised it. And what God decrees, God does. So what we're going to see this morning in this section of John 13 is nothing more than God's plan unfolding exactly the way it was supposed to. In fact of the matter, the one big thing this morning is this. That peace in our lives comes as we trust God with everything. Let's look at it together. John chapter 13. I'm going to begin in verse 18. I'm going to ask you if you're able, would you stand as we honor God's word? I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit, and testified and said, verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask, excuse me, who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then he said unto him, that thou doest do quickly now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him for some of them thought because judas had the bag that jesus had said unto him buy those things that we have need of against the feast or that he should give something to the poor he then having received the sop went immediately out and it was night let's pray together father thank you for your word thank you for the privilege that it is to open your word. And Lord, we know that the preaching of the cross is foolish to those who perish. And so, Father God, we ask that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes and illuminate our hearts to not only read these words, but Lord, to understand them that we may obey them. And so, Father, as always, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Again, the one big thing is that peace comes in our lives as we trust God with everything in our lives. What do we learn about Jesus in this text? Well, in this particular section we learn this, that Jesus is in control of all things. Now, the theological term for this is to say that God is sovereign. To be sovereign means to be in control of all things at all times. That there is nothing that dawns on God. That He saw it and knew it before we ever experienced it. Now sometimes this creates some anxiety in us. Because we don't understand it. How can God know everything when all we understand is what we see? And this is a reminder that God is greater and higher than we are. You see, Jesus knew who Judas was all the way back in the beginning. John chapter 6, verse seventy and 71. Jesus says this, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? See, the story with Judas here, the interaction with Judas shows us this, that God can take something that is meant for bad, meant for evil, and he could turn it around for his glory and our good. Because he is an all-powerful, sovereign God, he can change anything and everything around. This is why the apostle Paul could write Romans 8 and verse 28, when he says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And so maybe what you're experiencing in life right now, you wouldn't declare as a good thing. But this is where we must come to trust God that He is in control of all things and He can change your situation around for His glory and for our good. See, Judas didn't throw Jesus' mission off at all. Jesus knew what was coming. Fact of the matter, Jesus knew knew that Judas was a fulfillment of prophecy. There in verse 18, Jesus references an Old Testament verse, Psalm 41 and verse 9. It says, My own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Now that was originally written and spoken by David. Someone in his life had had betrayed him, but Jesus here is pointing to that verse to say, I knew who Judas was. I knew what he was going to do. Now, why is this good news that Jesus knew all of this? It's good news because it shows us that God truly is in control of all things. That nothing is taking God by surprise, not only in His life, but in our lives. And it reminds us that Jesus loved Judas. Think about it. If there was somebody close to you that was going to betray you and create all the problems Judas created, how close would we let them get in our life? How how much Would we let them in to our life? Probably not a whole lot. Why? Because we want to spare ourselves some pain. But Jesus also demonstrates his authority and his control over his situation. How? Because he looks at Judas and he says, go do what you do quickly. This was Jesus saying, Judas, time for you to go. Now, the disciples didn't understand what Jesus meant by that. They thought because he was in control of the money that Jesus was saying, hey, go pay for everything that we've used. Or maybe Jesus telling him go give something to the poor. No, what Jesus was saying is, Judas, your purpose is about to be fulfilled. So get up from the table, go out, go do what you're going to do. Jesus is proclaiming that once Satan entered Judas, nothing was going to hinder God's plan. Jesus knew the moment Judas got up from that table, the moment he left that upper room, he knew he was going to the religious authorities. He knew that Judas was going to lead this army to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knew there Judas was... Jesus knew... Everything that was about to happen. But because of his love for us, because of his obedience to his father, he didn't shy away from the pain. He rather steered into it. He said, Judas, go start it. Because once you start the ball rolling, nothing's going to stop it. Jesus knew that 30 years of life, that three and a half years of ministry were all going to come down to one single kiss. That would lead to seven unfair trials. Beating, spitting, mocking, scourging. And ultimately later that morning. Crucifixion. Yet Jesus is in control of it all. Because he said Judas. Go. Jesus knew what was coming. Nothing. Was going to hinder or stop. God's plan to save sinners like us. One more note about Judas before we move on. Look how John ends Judas' story. Look at the very end of verse 30. And it was night. Now why why does John mention that it was night? Is he just trying to give us a chronology uh, of the event? Maybe, but there's more behind it. Because John has spent his entire gospel writing and trying to convince people that Jesus is both light and life. And so when John says, and it was night, this is John pointing out that Judas consciously and willingly walked away from Jesus. You see, so often people, when they talk about the sovereignty of God, they take it to a place scripture never does. They say well because God is sovereign He is behind everything He causes everything and and that's just the, the way it is. But what we see here is that Judas had a choice. Judas was given the same free will that you and I have. He chose to reject God. He chose to walk Is God sovereign? Yes. Do we have the, the responsibility to choose right and wrong? Yes. How do they work? Only God can fully understand it. But we have to understand that they are two sides of the same coin. And God even knows our poor sinful choices and has already taken them into account in his eternal sovereign plan. So there's nothing that you and I can do, there's nothing Judas could do, that was going to stop what God had already planned to do. I don't know about you, but man, that's good news. Because sometimes we're faced with a decision, and I'm like, oh man, should I do this? Should I do that? And and I don't know how the decision's going to turn out. But the good news is, I don't have to have everything figured out, because God's already got it worked out. My job is to simply pray and and say, Lord, I need your help. What is the path that I need to take that will glorify you, that will draw me the closest to you? Judas was willingly walking away from the only person who loved him in spite of him. Judas was rejecting the one who loved him In spite of what he was about to do. Man, that's good news. Because that means this. Jesus can love me. And it means that Jesus loves you. He doesn't love us because we're good. He doesn't love us because of something we're going to do for him. He loves us because that's who he is. You will never make God love you more than He already does. Scripture would tell us in Ephesians, there's never been a time nor will there ever be a time in which God does not love you. Does it mean that He approves of every decision you're going to make? Not by a long shot. But just as a parent will look at their child and go, I don't care what you do. I will love you. This is what God is saying. God is saying, my love doesn't change with the day or the situation. So how do we live this out practically? We do it by doing this one simple thing. It's as simple and as hard as this. We must learn to trust God. Can we be honest? This is a dark section of Scripture. I mean, here is Jesus face to face with the man that is going to cause all of his suffering. He is going to single-handedly set in motion the events that are going to end with nails on a cross. But it also shows us this glorious truth that Jesus knew what was coming and Jesus loved Judas in spite of who Judas was. Now, some of you might be sitting here breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief, like, man, I'm glad I'm not Judas. I mean, look at me. I came to church today. Woo! Can I remind you of something? Judas walked with Jesus for three and a half years. Judas did religious things and was still lost. This is the danger when we make salvation about what we do instead of what Jesus has done, then we can be Judas. This verse is sometimes a little hard to take, but it's Isaiah 4 and verse 2. It says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness is the filthy rags Isaiah's point in that prophecy in that section of scripture was this when we trust in our works to make us acceptable to God God sees them as a bloody rag how many of you want to take a bloody rag and go wash anything in your house a bloody rag would contaminate everything and defile everything it touches and this is what Isaiah is getting at That when you and I trust in what we do, we defile everything touch. Church, it's not enough to simply say, I have faith. For the reality is God has given a measure of faith to all people. But the problem is oftentimes it's in ourselves. And I hate to put it this way, but I really don't know any other way to put it. Oftentimes our faith is self-centered and humanistic but clothed with religious language. It's seen in statements like, well, God helps those who help themselves. Like, what are you doing? Are you reading the Rick James Version? That's not in the King James. Or any other version. Or or, or we'll hear people say, well, you know, if you just have enough faith, then you can overcome any giant in your life. Guys, that's, that's me-centered, not God-centered. Unfortunately, oftentimes we even have that same type of faith in our prayer life. God, if you want me to have this, open the door. Now, every time, so take a, take a deep breath. But many times, when we say something like that, This is what we really are saying. God, I have already kicked that door down. I am going to walk through that door, but I want you to bless my plans. See, we don't want to ask God to bless our plans. We rather want to pray that God would reveal his plan for us and that we would be faithful to them. Because sometimes God opens... Sometimes a door opens that God's going, that's not my door. We see it over and over and over that we trust in who we are or what we do, rather than what Christ has done on our behalf. But we need to not only trust Jesus to save us from our sins, but we need to trust Him with every aspect of our life. This is what it means for Jesus to be Lord. Jesus told the disciples what he was coming to show them who he was. Jesus wants them. He wants us to know who he is. That we can trust him for every single thing. Jesus didn't want them looking back as they were looking at Jesus hanging on the cross. He didn't want them looking at each other and going, man, how did this happen? Like, Judas, he was a good guy. Like, he was with us. Jesus didn't want them going, how did this happen? Rather, he wanted them to know that he knew what was going to happen. So that their faith would not be in trying to figure out the situation, but that their faith would be in him from the beginning. And let's just be honest. The fear of the unknown is our greatest fear. It's the thing that keeps us up at night. It's the thing that creates so much stress and, and struggle but what a blessing to know as a child of God that God doesn't want us on the hamster wheel of worry. He would say, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to a stature? This is Jesus going, how many of you by worrying can add one second to your life or 18 inches to your height? None. He's going, It's, it's pointless. I mean, after all, worrying about anything, has it changed anything? Has it stopped something bad from happening? No. All it's done is to, when we have the fear of tomorrow, it robs us of the joy of today. It robs us of the joy of knowing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. That there's nothing that's going to happen in this life that will change how my story ends because Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. One day I will rise with him. The end, God knew it was coming anyway. And here's, here's the great thing. All the things that you and I worry and stress about, God's going, don't worry, I've already got a plan for it. Just trust. I got this. Go to sleep, child. Rest easy. Oh, that we would remember that laying our heads down, closing our eyes, and for some of us, snoring like a trucker is a gift from God. For those of you that don't think you snore, I'll let y'all fight that out in the parking lot. But it's a blessing to be able to lay down at night and go, I don't have to worry because God's got it worked out. Good night, world. This is the blessing that God is giving His children as we trust Him. If you want peace to reign in your life, if you want to have calmness in your heart, even as the storm is raging about you, just know this, trust God. Now that doesn't mean that there's not going to be pain in your life. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be difficulty. Sometimes in life, we're going to struggle to see the hand of God in our life. And in those moments when you cannot see the hand of God, then we must trust the character of God. we got to remember who He is. He is good. He is loving. He is gracious. He is merciful. He has a plan that is for our good to give us an expected end. Yes, we're going to go through trials and tribulations but in the end, I am His child. His plan for you will not be painless, but His plan for you will be perfect. So where do you need to trust God today? Are you like Judas? Have you been rejecting God's offer of salvation this whole time? Are you trying to throw open the gates of heaven of being a good person. By doing religious things. Because all that's doing is throwing open the gates of hell. If that's you, Jesus, is saying, come to me. Trust me. old oh, person who is far from God, I want, I want you to hear this. You have not sinned so grievously that the grace of God cannot save you completely. Come to Him. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will give you a new heart and a new name. He will give you His Spirit to live inside of you, to guide you, to make you more like Jesus. And when that day comes, you will close your eyes in death, confident that you will wake up staring at the face of the one who died for you. This is His invitation. For you to come and to trust Him Today. Or maybe you have. And there's some stuff going on in life right now. When someone mistreats you and justice seems far away, remember this: Jesus has everything in his hands. When the doctor calls with bad news, Jesus has everything. When you've been faithful to teach your children about who Jesus is, yet they reject him and they go their own way away from Jesus, know this. Jesus has everything in his hands. When the person that you pledge your love to casts you to the side and you question your worth, Jesus has everything in his hands. When your 401k plummets and there doesn't appear to be a sign of recovery, Jesus has everything. When a friend hurts you, Jesus has everything in His hands. And when you make a sinful, poor choice, Jesus has everything in His hands. So what do you need to give over to? Today? What do you, in faith, need to lay down and trust Him? Is it your heart? Is it your life? Is it your marriage? Is it your family? What is it? Evidence of our trust is obedience and giving it to Him. And that's the invitation. That whatever you're carrying, that you're not supposed to have, lay it down and give it to Him. And trust Him. Would you stand with me as we're going to pray Father God as we continue to move through this service praising you for your goodness and your grace thanking you for doing what only Lord you can do and that is saving sinners like me like us and so Father we cry out for that lost soul today we cry out that they have heard the gospel and that they would just believe in you Lord not that they have all of Christianity figured out not that they know everything that it means to to be a child of God but to simply acknowledge that they are a sinner and that only you can save them from that sin Father with that knowledge I pray they would just begin to talk to you and acknowledging what they know and trusting that You will save them. Father, we know that walking with You in a fallen world is often difficult. Not because it has to be, but because we make it. And so often we try to take things in our own hands. Father, I pray that today we've seen the folly of that way. that Lord we would just simply lay it down that we wouldn't ask you to bless our plans but simply that we would ask you to reveal your plans for us and to give us the faith to be obedient in what you're asking us to do so Lord God as you have spoke let us respond in Jesus' name Amen you need to surrender your life to Christ we're going to Harry and I are going to be up here. We'll pray with you. If there's something you need to lay down to God, this is the time. Let's respond in worship together. We sing, I surrender all.